Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Maz Social Mastery Podcast. Today's bite-sized edition comes from episode number 15 with Kamal Sama. Kamal is the monk who didn't sell his Ferrari. Kamal spent seven years in a monastery from the age of 14, and it's an amazing story. Kamal is a beacon of positivity and energy, and he explains why he was drawn into working in the mental health space and what it personally means for him to have a positive impact on people, especially young children and teenagers. Kamal shares the story of how he helped his own son overcome fears and some of the mental health challenges by imparting stress and suffering on him to help him build resilience or to build that muscle to gain confidence and to grow in his own self-efficacy. Taking the, the the hardship and now the gift you look that you learnt from being in a monastery, to take the resilience to, to pull yourself back and, and for your wife as well for both of you to defy the odds and not be the the ninety to ninety five percent, to be the five or ten percent that do stay through. Is there anyone better qualified to talk about connection? And I, I, I see you and and, and what, what people didn't see. I, I, at the start of today's conversation, before we went live, you spoke to me about your venture. You, can I talk about that as well? What you're getting really excited yeah, about sure, now? Definitely. And no, mental most definitely, health? Most definitely, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, and I'm going to introduce you to a couple of rugby league players and a, a boxer and a few other athletes. But you light up. And then when you talk to me about, hey, I've just done this global roadshow and working with all these execs and all this. And it's, it, and, but then when you talk about the community work you do, there's a different level of an intensity. And it doesn't mean you don't enjoy the work you do in the corporates. I reckon if you could, you'd just throw all that away and just work in the non-for-profit space because you light up in a whole different way. Yeah, look, I think um, one of the things I'm very grateful that, you know, the work that we do, we get exposed to leaders and leaders are like having a big stick to pull leverage. So if you, my belief is that if you change the mindset of leaders, it's so much easier to change the culture. And we talked about it, you're you're sharing um, something about, you know, a coach that had a profound impact on the culture of the team. So I I think that we're very blessed and lucky and uh, whatever, right time, right place to get leaders. But, uh, you know, there are a couple of things that have guided me. And I think one quote is that the way a society treats its weakest and the most vulnerable is the way you judge a society and a culture. And for me, you know, if I look at the war in Ukraine, if I look at the poverty in Africa, the people that suffer the most are generally children. And it's generally female children. It's very, you know, because they are the ones that are left behind. And especially if you're a mom and and you're looking after a child, you can't run. You can't run from the bombs. You have to, you're taking your child with you. So I kind of thought, well, what can I do in the work that I do? And um, for me, um, as you know, very passionate about um, prevention of youth suicide. But what I'm also passionate about is making sure that when a child cries you know, in their home, that they go to a safe pair of arms, you know, not somebody that's going to abuse them or hurt them. And then I've tried to understand, well, what what drives this? And what we do know is that you can only hurt another human being, if, especially a human being that is weaker than you, that's more vulnerable than you, if you've killed off something inside of yourself. So why don't we try and help people heal again? Um, why don't we create a society and a culture that supports people? Um, so uh, I'm working on a project called the Mentor Movement, which is around helping 
young boys and men, uh, on everybody, not just men, but boys, but we're going to start with boys and men, uh, have mentors. So when they go through challenges in their life, like I did, you know, I was lucky, you know, I, I had five men to support me. I'd like that for everyone. It, it is so strong. Before you even finish the, the, the end of that story, it is, you're really tapping into some of the challenges you've had and using that learning. It's, this is not textbook stuff. And, you know, you can talk about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, you know, from yeah. denial yeah, to yeah. sadness to bargaining to acceptance to you know, accepting and moving on. But you, you don't get that in the manual, right, when when you have yeah. you know, yeah. the the despair of one of your, your children passing away. You don't get that in the manual when you're sitting in a monastery for seven years lonely. you just yeah. got to work that stuff out yourself. So I believe in a phrase, you know, it's not very, not very profound. I think I came up with it. I don't know. Maybe somebody else did. You've got to turn shit into fertilizer. And, you know, how do you turn shit into fertilizer? And I think at the essence of all the great religions I've had a privilege to study, be it Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, the Kabbalah, Sufism, it is the human condition will go through challenges. What do you do? Nobody gets a free ticket out. Everybody's going to have challenges. What do you do with that? And I think turning shit into fertilizer, a very Aussie approach to life, is, is what, and it really ties in with my, my monastic traditions, is understand suffering first, then grow through that suffering. And I, I think what we do is that we kind of idolize happiness. I'm not into happiness. I'm into suffering. Talk to me about suffering. I'll get juiced up. Because, you know, that's what life is about. It's easy to be happy, very challenging to be suffering. So I want to teach people and you know, I want to go on this journey around exploring suffering. What does it mean? How do we, uh, how do we use it? Easy to be happy, but it's not long-lasting. Ice cream makes you happy and then it goes away and so does the sugar hit and then you get fatigued. Mm. It might be mm. a, a beer, it might be sex, might make you happy. But the, the, the whole challenge, and again, I'm on the hobby horse, Wiz, let's go on this one. <laughs> when I was a boy, but this, this instant <laughs> gratification. Uh, we, back as a kid, if you wanted to do an assignment, you had to beat James Collett at Glenys because James knew the library like the back of his hand, right? So if you didn't get a book before Collett, you waited a week or two. Now everything is drop and drag society. It's in a pill, a potion, a bottle or a lotion. And if that doesn't have an instantaneous fix, we go to somebody else. This is a real challenge. You know, if you and I have very different backgrounds, teach some similar crossover around philosophy, belonging, connection. Uh, even in the work I do in sport, you talk about suffering. That's called an off-season. You literally flog. Right. <laughs> it it, it is. Like you flog like your men that. and women athletes for three or four months and you get this balance between suffering or training and then you give them a bit of recovery and bounce back. So it's that train, recover, train, recover, train, recover. And you condition the system to be you know, lots of buzzwords but resilient. Grit, hardy. You condition it so you can go and play, and that's what we're missing in life. Totally missing in life. And for, you know, people think, "Oh, I'm doing the best thing for my kids. I'm sending them to everything. They're having tennis lessons. They're, they're one of the best things you can get for your kids. Yeah, get them active. You know, give them good food. Give them a bit of suffering. But if I say that in some audiences, you can actually watch people wanting to lynch you. How do you navigate this? How do you really tread around these landmines? Because you're, you're a lot more elegant than I am. <laughs> um, so I'll share the story with my son. So my son, 
Uh, he's a TEDx speaker now, but he's on LinkedIn. He teaches other kids. But when he was in fourth class, he got um, really severely bullied to the point we had to take him out of school uh, and he lost his ability to talk. So I taught him how to do public speaking and he hated my guts. He had my guts for a long time. He said, Dad, no, I don't want to do it. Then by when he was in sixth class, he got a chance to present at the opera house. By year 10, he had his own TEDx talk. By, by year 11, he'd, he'd, he'd started a business teaching kids how to do public speaking. The reason why I share that with you is that people find public speaking really, really scary. They also find it really, really stressful. I think you should stress out your kids. So I agree with you. Give them some suffering. Teach them how to do public speaking because they're out there. They've got all their eyes looking and their stress hormones are gone up, but it's a safe place. They're not out, you know, doing stuff that is going to cause them harm. But it's a thrill. We want to be scared. It makes us feel alive.